just a couple of things. Don't forget, we do have uh, Vacation Bible School coming up tomorrow. I hope that you will be praying. If you're not going to be here, please be praying for all those that are working in Vacation Bible School and involved. Pray for the kids that are going to be here. And then on the 6th, actually the 7th of July, we will be having a free movie night here. We're going to be showing Cars 3. And so, by all means, uh, put that on your calendar. Invite somebody to come with you. We have a sign-up back there for uh, food, and uh, we will have the free hot dogs and hamburgers and those kinds of things again, the barbecues. So we invite you to come and be part of that. But be sure to invite your neighbors and your friends. We want them to come and enjoy it too. So that's just a couple weeks away, and uh, we don't want you to miss a lot of things going on. A little later on in July, a number of us are going to our uh, family camp up at Tahoe, and so it's going to be, be a busy summer. Our kids are going to go, a number of them, to Silver Spur, and uh, so be praying for those kids that are going to be going to summer camp. Uh, I think that is so important that we lift them up before the Lord as well. And so, busy summer, and uh, we want you to be a part of it. We don't want you to miss out on it. If you have your Bibles and you would like to turn uh, to where I'm going to be studying, it's going to be Exodus chapter 20. Verse 13, and you'll remember we're going through the Ten Commandments, and we are coming into the second half. We've gone through the first half, and last week we, uh, we got into the idea of a loving man, loving your neighbor as yourself, and we talked about honoring your father and mother, and every parent loved the idea of obey your father. Uh, that was a good one, right, dads? Yes. yes, two of you thought that was good. That's good. And uh, so we had Father's Day, and it was amazing how that worked out, that the, uh, the fifth commandment fell right on Father's Day, the idea of honoring your parents and uh, how important that is. And we just talked about how important it is that we honor our, our fathers and our mothers. And today we come to the 13th, verse 13, and uh, it is this commandment, you shall not murder, you shall not murder. And I'm sure that most of us kind of look at that one and say, well, that doesn't pertain to me very much. You know, I haven't killed anybody lately. I'm not planning to go home and shoot anybody this afternoon, and so it doesn't really hit. Now, maybe sometimes you think about doing that, but you know that that's just kind of in your mind, and you're not going to do that. And so it may not be a commandment that you think will relate to you. Oh, we're going to see some interesting things today as we get into that. I don't know that I have ever spent a lot of time with a, a murderer, Someone who just goes out and uh, shoots people, mass shootings. I, I do know that I've talked to individuals and been around guys that have been in war. And uh, people have died there. Uh, I know that every one of our peace officers has to be ready uh, for that action if it should come during the day. And so they're aware of that. But, you know, to say that I know someone who has gone out and they just like to shoot people, no. But it's a part of our society, isn't it? In fact, it's a major part. You turn on your TV and you watch the news at night and you're going to hear about shootings. Uh, you're going to hear about it happening in the cities, New York, Chicago, get a little closer to home. we got San Francisco and Oakland and San Jose. And But it even hits closer than that because we have killings that happen in Brentwood and in Pittsburgh and Antioch and Discovery Bay. And so it's, it's a, an important thing for us to be looking at. If you turn the television on, you will see uh, murder played out night after night on television. If you're watching many of the shows, uh, we see people that are shot and killed in various manners, and it's there. 
And I think we have become a little bit calloused in terms of that because it is so common. We think, wow, that's terrible. It shouldn't happen. But it won't happen to me, and it's not something that pertains to me so much. The mass shootings, yeah, they are. We're still bothered by that. And we will be bothered by that. And I'm glad that we are. We need to be bothered by those things. But the commandment is for us today. And it says, you shall not murder. And so I want to just look at this from a number of different areas. Uh, What it means, how it relates to us. How does it touch our lives? How does it impact us in a number of different ways in, in the United States and in California? As you look at the Old Testament law, you begin to realize that this whole idea of murder, there were some that were found to be a little bit different than others. For instance, if it was premeditated versus something that was accidental, there was a higher cost as, as a result of that. Right there across the page, if you're in Exodus chapter 20, In Exodus chapter 21, verses 12 through 14, it says, He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. There it is, the death sentence. That was certainly the case under the law for Israel. But if he did not lie and wait for him, but God let them fall into his hand, then I will appoint you a place to which you shall flee. And those were the first sanctuary cities. Uh, If you killed a person and it was an accident, there were seven sanctuary cities, I believe, in in uh, Israel, and they could flee to that sanctuary city, and they would remain there in safety if they had killed a person accidentally. If they had killed a person on purpose, it was premeditated, it was different. They'd be taken from that place, and their life would be taken. If, however, a man acts presumptuously toward his neighbor, verse 14, so as to kill him craftily, you are to take him even from my altar. He would go and he'd hang on to the horns of the altar and say, I'm, I'm protected here. And he says, you're to take him even from there that he may die. And so we see that God took murder very seriously. It was something that God said, if you take the life of another man then, or a woman or a child, then your life is going to be taken from you. That's, that's how serious God saw that. I think of the first murder of what it must have been like. Uh, of course you know that Adam and Eve had two sons one was named Cain the other was named Abel and as they got to maturity they got to be adults Cain was jealous of Abel because Abel's Abel's sacrifices to God were more acceptable than Cain's now we don't know why for sure some people say it's because of an animal sacrifice some people say it was because Cain just brought grain I, I don't know I tend to think maybe it was a hard attitude that there was a difference between Cain and Abel in terms of the sacrifice, but Cain became angry, and we know that he took the life of his brother Abel. And I can just imagine what it was like one night when the boys were supposed to come home from the field, Abel out taking care of the flocks, and Cain tilling the soil, and and they were supposed to come home, and Adam and Eve were probably there, and Eve had probably gone out and gathered a bunch of fruit or whatever they had, and, and she'd fixed dinner, and it was ready, and grain, and... Cain came in, but Abel didn't. Cain, where's your brother? I don't know. Isn't that how our kids do? I don't know. Cain, where's Abel? I don't know. So Adam and Eve went out into the field looking for his flock, probably found the flock, and there was Abel laying there. And you know what? 
uh, we don't think about it much, but they'd never experienced death like that. God had killed some animals for skins, but they had never seen a human die. And I'm sure they kind of pushed him a little bit, shoved him, they said, get up, get up, Abel. And he didn't. Now, they'd been told, if you eat of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, you will surely die. And that included physical as well as spiritual death. And he didn't get up. And they probably came home and they said, Cain, what did you do to your brother? What did you do to Abel? Because this is the first time they've experienced death. But it was murder. Death's a hard thing. When we have a loved one that dies, and we've had a number of people in our church that have gone through that recently, it's hard to lose that person by death. But to have a child or a person murdered is horrendous. It seems so senseless. Why did it happen? Why did it take place? So I want to just kind of look at what murder is from a biblical standpoint. I want to kind of remove the emotional part of it and begin to look at it from a biblical standpoint. I want to give you about three points right here that uh, have to do with murder. And murder basically, very def- very literally, is taking the life of another person. It's not taking the life of an animal necessarily. That's not what we're talking about here. It's not killing a dog or a cat or a horse or anything else. It's, it's, it's a person for a very specific reason. And the first thing we need to realize is that what the life that we have here is a gift of God. God gives it to us. And if God gives us life, then in reality, God's the only one that should take it away. Back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. God gives, and only God has the right to take away. You and I don't. And so when we take the life of another person in this way, we are usurping the place of God. And the sin is against God. It's against what he gave us. The second one is that human life is sacred, and I think we've lost that. It it is so easy for us to have shootings and lives taken, and I think part of the reason is because we've lost the reality of what life is. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verses uh, verse 26, it talks about uh, God creating man. And it says in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And today we realize that we still have that imprint of God on our lives. It's marred by sin, but it's there. Each one of you has something about who you are that is in the image of God. Let us make him in our image. And so when you take the life of someone, you're destroying that which was made in the image of God. Now, we don't hear that about any of the animals. We don't hear that about the angels in terms of how they were created, only about man and humanity. Back in in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, it's uh, after Noah has gone through the flood and they've come down and the the ark has landed on land. And in verse 6 of of Genesis 9, it says, whoever sheds Man's blood, 
By man his blood shall be shed. It's, it's a work of the governing authorities, basically. Whoever kills a man, his man, his blood will be taken for him. For in the image of God, he made man. And so it's not respecting the fact that we're made in the image of God. Who we are. God says if, if a person takes a, the life of another human being because he's made in the image of God, then his life is also to be taken. And so we have capital punishment. A lot of people struggle with that whole issue, but especially in the Old Testament, we pick that up even before the law. And God said it's, it's because of the fact that they have dishonored me. And that's a hard issue for us. But people don't understand that today. I think a lot of our killings and murders and the things that are going on in the streets are simply because people don't understand the sanctity of life and the importance of life. And so here's another sin against God. It's not simply a sin against man, but it's a sin against God. I would also say that when a person murders another person, they rob them of the most important thing they have. They rob them of their life and the years that would follow. They rob them of their homes, and their families, their finances. Everything is taken from them because their life is taken. And so it's a huge robbery. This is a sin against man. So we see that there's a sin against God and the sin against man, and it's against humanity, it's against our culture. And where murder, murder is prevalent, it really is, is an evidence there is a, a lack of, of understanding and respect for who God is and the sanctity of life. We just don't understand how important life is, that God gave it to us as a gift, and that we are made in his image. And, man, we need to respect that. As Christians, we need to grab a hold of that. We need to know that. And it impacts how we make other decisions. And so we go back to what murder is. It's taking the life of another individual. It doesn't matter how old that individual is. It may be an elderly person. It may be somebody in their middle age. It may be somebody in their 20s or in their teens or their early years. If you take the life of that individual, what the Bible says is that would be murder. So it's taking the life of another individual. Now I'm going to give you another one. I think it deals also with taking your own life says we're not to take any life. It doesn't say whose. So if we talk suicide, that's a real key, isn't it? That we're not to take our own lives. God has a predetermined plan. It says there is a time to be born and a time to die. It says in, Gen or in, in, in Psalms 139 that God knows every day of our lives. Every day. And he knows what's important about those days. And he knows what we're going to live. And he knows when we're going to come home to be with him if we're Christians. And and so we understand that. He knows every day. Well, where does that hit us? One would be euthanasia. There's a, a big push today for when a person gets old, they can't take care of themselves anymore, they've reached that point of not functioning, that maybe we should take a life. But that's not my job, and it's not yours. That's God's. We care for those individuals. We love those individuals. Assisted suicides, which are issues today. I come from Oregon. They've been doing that for years up there. 
And uh, I really believe that's in, in opposition to the will of God. That's what this commandment says. You shall not murder. You're not to take a life. The person that assists in it is, is murdering, even though it's legal. Legality doesn't take away the fact that it's murder. It just means that people can do it without any penalty. But to take the life of another person is murder, and certainly that would be involved there. There's another one that I want to deal with, and uh, you probably know what it is. It's a political hot topic today. It has been for a lot of years, and it's the issue of abortion. I'm glad it's not an election year, because I'm not here to tell you who to vote for and who not to vote for in so many words. But we're going to talk about where abortion is in terms of murder. Where does it fit in terms of this 10th commandment, or this, this 6th commandment, you shall not murder? Because I think the Bible is pretty clear about that. Um, we need to kind of look at it in terms of what it is. I, I do not believe that it was intended to begin with to be a political issue. I believe it's a moral issue. I believe it's an ethical issue. I believe it's a biblical and spiritual issue. And so as Christians, we need to understand what it is so it impacts us and how we relate to it. Uh, let me just say that 1973, I'm, I'm going to give you some more statistics in a few moments. 1973, Roe v. Wade came into existence. Since that time in America, there have been in excess of 60 million abortions. That's a lot of lives. One out of five pregnancies ends in abortion. So if you blind up four little children, there should be another one right along with them. But he's not here anymore. She's not here anymore. And so it has a huge impact on our lives. And, and I'm sure all of us have know someone who has had an abortion. In fact, I would guess if one out of five pregnancies end in abortions, that there are people here today who have had abortions. And I want to tell you right now that God loves you, and God cares for you, and we have a forgiving God. And you don't have to live with the guilt of what took place in the past. It doesn't matter. It's like any other issue that we have in our lives. God forgives. And I certainly do not want to put guilt on anyone today, but I do want us to understand what the Bible says and what God says, and I think that's important that we have a handle on those things. And so that's where I am. And, and so I just want to look at abortion as uh, what it is and how it relates to us and how it affects us. And so let me just look at it in terms of, of life and death and murder. And legally in California, to take the life of an unborn child is legally murder. Do you realize that? We talked about that once before. Penal Code 187 defines the murder as the unlawful killing of a human being or fetus with malice of forethought. California actually has three levels of murder. They have first-degree murder, they have second-degree murder, and they have... Uh, uh, the worst murder or the one that has the, the greatest condemnation, and that's capital murder. I, I looked up a number of things on the web, but let me just read this. Murder is defined as the unlawful killing of a human being or a fetus with malice aforethought. Malice aforethought can be defined as simply, you meant to kill victim. <laughs> malice pertains to when a killing is an inter intentional act. 
The action performed was nat has natural consequences that are known to be dangerous to human life. The action was performed deliberately and with conscious disregard for human life. First-degree murder. You're convicted of first-degree murder by performing any of three actions, committing a murder while doing something wrong, torturing a person, uh, a felony. Uh, there was a destructive device or explosive or a weapon of mass destruction that was used. All of those kinds of things hit in the terms of the first-degree murder. Second-degree murder is applies. It, it, it's a little more kind of up to the people that are judging it, but it's not so deliberate or premeditated. Uh, and so it's, it's not does not have the degree of penalty. Capital murder, on the other hand, capital murder is the most heavily punished type of murder in California and is known as first-degree murder with special circumstances. If found guilty of capital murder, you will either be sentenced to death or a state prison sentence for life without the possibility of parole. You can be charged with capital murder if you perform any of the following, including, but not limited to, listen to this, murder, murdering another for financial gain. In other words, I want his money. Murdering a police officer, firefighter, prosecutor, judge, juror, or elected official. Murdering another because of his race, color, or religion. I, I wondered why they didn't have pastors under that first one, but I guess that's because we get the religious thing. <laughs> Murdering another by drive-by. And then the fifth one, murdering more than one victim. Now, in 2005, you remember, may remember the case of Scott Peterson. Scott Peterson, I believe, lived in Modesto or somewhere over there. He was married to a young woman by the name of Lacey. Lacey was married and to him and had a baby on the way. She was pregnant. And Scott killed Lacey and the baby. He was tried. And he was convicted of a double murder. He was convicted for the murder of his wife and he was convicted of the murder of his unborn child. You see, in California, it's illegal to kill a child in the womb except for special circumstances. Do you know what those are? Illegal abortion or being a doctor who is performing that abortion. In other words, the state of California sees that child as a living human being but he loses his rights if the mother decides, I no longer want to carry him. And that's kind of a, a conflict of, of how things are put together there. Uh, I look at that and realize that the state of California, don't want to lose that. The state of California then says that murdering a, an unborn child is illegal. And we need to understand that that's, that's one thing they say is wrong. Scientifically, to take the life of a child is to kill someone who is a, a human being. Uh, the fetus, as I got, is considered a living human being based on genetics and DNA, and it demonstrates that the fetus is a living human person. It's interesting, the, uh, the Senate apparently wanted to know back in 1981 whether uh, the child was a, a living being or not. I remember in 1973 when Roe v.ersus Wade came in and they said, oh, it's just a, kind of a mass of material in there that's, that's not so important. It's, it's really not a, an important thing, this little baby. It's kind of like a wart on the mother or it's a, 
Something that just lives off the mother. You know, we, we kind of heard those kinds of things, that the, the baby was unimportant. It, it didn't have rights. And so in 1981, there was a Senate Judiciary Subcommittee, and they held hearings on the question of when human life begins. When does it really become a living human? Appearing to speak on behalf of the scientific community was a group of internationally known geneticists. Uh, they deal with genetics, biologists who had the same story to tell, namely that human life begins at conception, fertilization, and they told their story with complete absence of opposing testimony. Uh, Dr. Michelin M. Matthews Roth of Harvard Medical School gave confirming testimony supporting the references from over 20 embryology and other medical textbooks that the human life began at fertilization. It is incorrect to say that biological data cannot be decisive, she, he said. It is scientifically correct to say that an individual human life begins at conception. Father of modern genetics, Dr. Jerome Lejeune, told the lawmakers to accept the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human has, become into, has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. It's not just my thought of whether it's true or not. <coughs> it is plain experimental evidence. Each individual has a very neat beginning at conception. Dr. McCarthy Demere, medical doctor and law professor, University of Tennessee, testified the exact moment of the beginning of personhood and the human body is at the moment of conception. It goes on down here and it comes to uh, the Supreme Court ruling of Roe versus Wade. Actually, Dr. Landrum Shettles, sometimes called the father of vitro fertilization, notes conception confers life and makes that life one of a kind. And based on Roe versus Wade, he says, to deny the truth about when life begins should not be made a basis for legalizing abortion. Professor Eugene Diamond stated, either the justices were fed a backwoods biology or they were pretending ignorance about scientific certainty. Interesting statement about our justices. Well, the Senate report came out with this conclusion. Physicians, biologists, and other scientists agree that conception marks the beginning of the life of a human being. A being that is alive and is a member of the human species. There is overwhelming agreement on this point in countless medical, biological, and scientific writings. The person who wrote this article, probably pro-life, said preborn babies are among the most vulnerable and helpless members of our society. The value of human beings is not dependent on where they are, or how tall they are, or what race they are, what they look like, or how old they are. Each person has inherent worth because of who and what he or she is a member of the human species. And so basically, legally, an unborn child is a human. Scientifically, an unborn child is a human. And so we look at, at the issues today and what they are and whether abortion is right or not. Uh, the question is, is that child a living being? Legally they are, scientifically they are, and I believe that biblically they are. If you go back to Psalms 139, I want to just read a couple of passages for you this morning. Psalms 139 in, in verses 13 to 17. 
who says, you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it well. God doesn't just begin dealing with a person after he's born or after he becomes a Christian, but he begins forming him in the mother's womb. He has a plan for him. He says, my frame is not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. God began dealing with us before we were ever born. In fact, you go back to Jeremiah in chapter 1, verse 1, or verse 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God deals with us before we're ever born. That child in the mother's womb, that baby some of you have today, it's made in the image of God. We, uh, we mature at different phases. And I think we all know that. Uh, an infant, when it comes out of the birth canal, is, is certainly a living being. And the mother loves that child. The father loves that child, hopefully. Uh, they're special. But no one would question, is it a living being? Is it, is it allowed to kill? Are you allowed to kill that? No. But it hasn't progressed very far. It hasn't matured very much yet. Now, you take a five-year-old, they're a whole lot different, aren't they? Because they're maturing. A, a child that is before puberty is no less a human being than a child after puberty. They're just at different stages in their life. And the same is true for the child that's in the womb doesn't matter how old they are or how far along they are in the womb. In fact, scientists would say at the point of conception, they become a human being. So if taking the life of a human is murder, then, and it's murder according to the Bible, then certainly abortion would be too, whether it's illegal or not. It fits that category. You shall not murder. That's what the Bible says. Let me give you some statistics. I already told you 60 million children's lives have been taken between now and 1973. On the average in the U.S., there are 3,000 abortions every day. About every 30 seconds. That's a lot. We, uh, we're really concerned about shootings in schools and shootings at different places. And I am too. I hate that. I wish it wasn't there. But I'll tell you what, it, it, this is a whole lot more prevalent. The World Health Organization said worldwide there's about 125,000 abortions daily, 40 to 50 million abortions per year, according to the World Health Organization. Do you know that according to the World Health Organization, this is worldwide, by the 10th day of January this year, there were a million abortions in the world. Now, San Francisco is only about 900,000 people, maybe a little less than that. They wiped out San Francisco in the first 10 days of this year. I read a Friday morning, I was looking online, and I, I read an abortion meter. It said, and it was clicking them off every 30 seconds, what would be there, and it said at that point, 515 1,415 abortions had already taken place this year. 
And yet this probably isn't very popular for the people in the United States. I believe it was 1914 or, six, or 2014 or 2016, CNN did a survey. And they said 58% of Americans today would either totally do away with abortion or at least most abortions. The average person in America doesn't want abortion anymore. Uh, Gallup poll came out about the same time, and their number was 55%. And I have to say it's a good thing because abortions have been decreasing every year for about the last five or ten years, and I'm so thankful for that. Uh, we see a change, a change in attitude, but I've, I've had people that have had abortions and they come to me and they talk about the fact that they have guilt and feelings and it's happened uh, several times in my, in my ministry. People have come. I had one woman want to share with our youth group so that they wouldn't get caught up in the same thing years ago. Uh, I've, I've had a man come and feel guilt because they had produced a child and the child was aborted and they carried that guilt. It's, it's not a matter of woman's choice. We're, we're told that today. It's a woman's choice whether she carries a child or not. You know when choice is made? Choice is made at conception. And then we live with our actions. It is a... Um, It's a personal issue for me. It's a personal issue for me because Darlene and I didn't have children, and so our only daughter is adopted. Are there people that will adopt children? Yes, there are. We wouldn't have our two grandchildren if that woman had said, I didn't want to carry this child. I was talking to one of the other men in our, in our church this morning, and he said the same thing. And they had adopted there are options. But it's not a matter of convenience that we remove the life of a child. If it's simply because I got pregnant, the average person that has an abortion is a woman in her 20s. Many of them have already, already have children. But it's not a matter of this is inconvenient or I'm not going to be able to handle the cost It's a matter of what is this child? Who is this child? What do we need to do about it? How do we change it? And I'm not going to teach on it, and I won't get to the other half of the service, but I want to say something. As a church, if abortion is ever stopped, and it needs to be in America, because it is taking the life of an unborn child, the most helpless individual that's out there. It's robbing them of their potential for what would go on in their life. It's taking away the life of one who was given life by God. It's taking away one, the life of one who was created in the image of God. It's all there. But I think the first thing we have to do is as churches and as Christians... If there are young women that uh, are single, say, and they're also married that have abortions because that's important to them. But we have to come alongside. We may have to have homes for 
unwed mothers. We need to have to have places where they can come and stay. And that means sometimes we'll have to sacrifice. It may have to say, we're not going to take that trip this year because we're going to put it back into a home. We're not going to do that this year because we're going to get involved in this. And it may mean sacrifice on our part. Getting involved with them. We need to put pressure on the House, the Senate, and the presidency and see things legalized that are, are taken away so that the so it's illegal to have the abortion. I can't tell you how to vote, but I'll tell you how I vote. There's a couple of issues that are how I base all of my voting, and I have to tell you today. One of them is abortion. If I know someone says that I am going to support abortion, I will not vote for them. And I'll tell you why. If they vote to keep abortion legal or to establish somehow greater abortion, whatever, if, that's, if they're pro there, I, I believe they in some way become responsible for the death of those children. If they've said that's how they're going to vote, I can't vote for them. And if I do vote for them, I'll tell you what I believe. It may not be what you believe, but I believe that I also have a certain responsibility there. I can't do it. The Bible says do not murder. We say, oh, that's a long ways from me. Doesn't touch me. But it really does. It touches every American. I don't know whether God blesses a nation or continues to bless a nation where that becomes so evident. Do you know in uh, World War II, there were six million Jews killed in the Holocaust? And we think, oh, that's terrible. Sixty million infants between now and 1967 in America who's lost their lives. Vietnam was the war that I would say was my war. That was when people my age went to war. 58,000 military lost their lives in Vietnam. That's minuscule in comparison to the number of lives that have been lost to abortion. And so I look at this today and I look at the commandment, you shall not murder and what I would tell you this morning is, Christians, we need to evaluate where we are in terms of what we believe and what we don't believe and how we respond and what we do concerning that. I'm not going to go to the polling place with you. That's not my responsibility, but I'm sure praying that God changes the law in America because I, uh, I think of those little kids one out of five, that means out there we have a bunch of little kids. We're probably missing one out of every five that should be there this morning. You shall not murder. Ten commandments hit home. They hit our nation. They hit who we are. And we have to go back and, and look at that. I was going to go to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus talks about what murder is. He talks about murder being more having to do with our mental capacity than actually physically going out and killing someone. It talks about the idea of anger and bitterness towards a brother, and he says, you got the same problem as a murderer. And we're to deal with our anger and our bitterness, and we're to, 
restore our relationships and, and come together in, in a positive relationship. And maybe I'll come back to that one of these days before too long because I think it's important. But right now, uh, time's up. But I, I would hope that you'll go home and, and you'll think about your views in terms of, of murder. Where does it fit for you? How, how does it affect you in terms of these things I've talked about? Whether just taking a life, we see that happening on our streets every day. Assisted suicide is becoming prevalent and, and an acceptable thing that they're pushing for today. God says that's not right. Abortion is already so prevalent in our society, and we have become accepting of it. And it's rather a, an issue that we don't get too uptight about anymore. It's not a political issue, folks. It's not a political issue. It's a moral issue. It's an ethical issue. The Bible definitely, or the science tells us that the baby is real. The law tells us he's real. And yet we legally continue to take lives. Let's pray. Father, I'll have to admit, I get kind of... This is a hard issue for me, Father. I don't even like preaching it, but... Father, it's one we need to hear. Our, our, I read statistics of evangelical kids going out and getting abortion because they just haven't learned that they shouldn't. I think of young women I've known that have uh, gone out, had a relationship outside of wedlock in that case, and, and were strong enough to carry that child to term, either to keep the child or to give it away to give it up for, abort, for adoption. Father, my, my hat goes off to those young ladies. And I pray for our young people today that they wouldn't have to deal, ever have to deal with the issue in their lives. It would not be something that would come up and be something that they would have to deal with because they end up pregnant. Father, help us as adults to care for our kids, to teach them. Thank you that Corwin is doing that. Father, I pray that we as adults would have compassion on those that uh, we know of that have had an abortion. I pray for anyone here this morning that they wouldn't go away from here feeling guilt because certainly you have said in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, you are Righteous and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I, I, I pray if there is a lady here or ladies here who have experienced that, that you would give them true peace. That you would give them contentment knowing your forgiveness and your love. You are a compassionate God and I'm so thankful for that. Praise you, Father, for who you are. You're our awesome heavenly Father our Abba Father. And you love us with an unconditional love, no matter who we are, where we are, what we've done. As we come to you, you wrap your arms around us and you love us and you care for us. And I thank you for that, Father. Help us to be as loving. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.